there. First Corinthians chapter six. Going to start out uh, today and every uh, time we speak on this subject with the Word of God. How many think that's a good idea? Okay, we're not here to tell you our ideas, our thoughts, our opinions, what should happen, what shouldn't happen. We are here uh, to explore the Word of God and see what the Word has to say on these subjects. First Corinthians chapter six. We're going to start in verse twelve. Starting in verse 12, it says this, All things are lawful for me, but all things, but are not all things helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Now, as Paul begins this, this, this sentence, he is actually talking about sexual immorality as we continue on. I know we might use that scripture for a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts, but this scripture is specifically talking about fleeing sexual immorality. What Paul is addressing here, and we're going to talk about a little more here in just a second. What Paul is talking about here in Corinthians is he's talking about this popular fad that has been happening in the city of Corinth where believers now are taking their newfound freedom in Jesus and beginning to exploit that and use that to sin. Okay, so now Paul has to come along and he has to begin to address this thing. And he's actually quoting what many would would use back then as this phrase. Look, all things, you know, are are lawful for me. But Paul begins to address that now in specifically talking about sexual immorality. Food is meat for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality or some of your uh, Bibles might say fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and He will also raise up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Come on, you see that in your Bible? Explanation point. Never. Or do you not know? And I want you to hear this, verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. Now, you need to understand that we're joined. We're going to talk about it towards the end, but I want to highlight it here real quickly. In Genesis 2.24, the Bible says, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife. Okay? That word cleave and this word joined are the same word. Okay? And so what Paul is saying here, now listen to me, so that means back in Genesis 2.24, what, what, what the Bible is actually talking about is that when they are cleaved, that word cleave means to be glued together, okay? You get glued together when you begin to have sexual intercourse with somebody, okay? That is what's happening in context of the Bible today. And so now Paul is saying, look, he's using the same terminology as Genesis 2.24, okay? And he's saying this. Shall you be joined together? Shall your members be joined together with a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Okay? And the two shall become one. Okay? Cleaving. Joining. Being glued together. As it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Why? Because he's beginning to tie himself to another person. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God, amen, with your 
body. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is absolutely amazing. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that, Lord, you would just speak to us, uh, give clarity on this, on this topic, give clarity on this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I know that we're heading in the right direction with this series because the last seven days we have been getting more kickback from people uh, than we've ever got, gotten our two and a half years, whether it be from the community, uh, uh, from different leaders, different people, uh, whether it be people walking across the street this morning for the first time in two and a half years complaining that our music is too loud. Okay. Now, maybe it is too loud, but I mean, come on, the first time we're launching this series, they're coming across. We're getting a lot of kickback. So that tells me this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers in heavenly places. I believe we're doing something right now that is very significant and needs to be talked about. While we're doing the sexual revolution, I want to read this to you. I believe there is a need for us to talk about this as a church. Uh, In a society where human trafficking, prostitution, and pornography are on the rise and where sex and sexual innuendos are used to sell everything from cars to fast food to homes and where everything seems to have become common and acceptable, there is a need for a sexual revolution. I, I think about this. I think about when I go home and watch football, I cannot just sometimes leave the television on. Because if I just leave the television without sitting there, if I leave the television on without sitting there, all of a sudden, next thing I know, I turn around and my, my daughters are seeing some commercial they should never see. Are you with me? Or they're seeing some advertisement for some television that, that nobody, at least in my family, wants to watch. And so I, I've noticed that I, I'm in the fantasy. Anybody else out there in the fantasy football? By the way, my team's going to win today. Praise Jesus. Okay? I know that. Okay? I'm speaking those things that aren't yet as though they are. And so I find myself watching almost every football game. You know, if you're into fantasy football, you know what I'm talking about. Every game is important, okay? And so I'm watching, but man, with that comes all this other stuff and this other garbage, and I have to continually guard my daughter's eyes and guard their ears, and I'm just trying to watch a football game. Now, let me read this to you. This is uh, Dr. Joe McClaney of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health, and he makes this statement. He says, All we really know is that kids are overexposed to sex. The old Hollywood remedy, just turn the channel if you don't like it, what your kids are seeing doesn't work anymore if it ever did. One thing our study makes clear is sexual energy and content is fighting children and teens everywhere. It's on TV. It's on the Internet. It's on the radio. It's on CDs. It's on movies. It's in video games. Their study shows this. For every hour of television watched by teens, there are an average of 6.7 scenes, including sexual topics, and about 10% of these scenes show couples engaged in sexual intercourse. For every hour, 6.7 scenes uh, 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 of sexual things happening. Now, the scary statistic is this, that the Nielsen Company said that the average child watches 28 hours of television a week. You horrible parents, you. Turn the thing off. Okay, now here's the scary thing. If you take that 28 hours and you multiply it times the the 6.7, that's 187.6 scenes of sexual content children are seeing every week. Wow. How many guys think that's a little too much? How many think one is too much? Come on, okay? That is a lot of stuff. That means they are seeing 18 different scenes of actual sexual intercourse every week. Multiply that by a month. Multiply that by the time this child hits 12 years old and is going through puberty and his body's going crazy in everything he's seen. Are you with me this morning? Okay. While we're doing the sexual revolution, we're doing it really for three specific purposes. First and foremost, uh, we are doing it uh, because we want, uh, we want to see people healed of sexual issues. 
okay? There are people that are sitting right here today that, that, that you've, you've been affected by, by adultery. You've been affected by fornication. You may have been affected by a rape. You've been affected by something. Maybe you know somebody that, that, that has, has gotten rid of a child through an abortion. That There's somebody sitting. You've been affected by this. Another reason we want to do it is we want to educate people on what the Bible says about these topics and about these subjects. And, and really, it gets down to this last one. What we want to see, according to Ephesians 5.20, we want to see that pure, spotless church, that bride that Jesus Christ wants, okay? Now, because it would be easy for us to walk into church and think, yeah, teach us so we can tell those people out there all about it, right? But the reality is, is that you're going to discover through this series that, that it's, it's in the church just as much as it's out there, okay? a matter of fact, when Paul wrote Corinthians, he wasn't writing to the world. He was writing to the church. Okay, and so if we deal with it here, then maybe we can begin to have an impact out there. And that is what we desire to do today. So today we're going to talk about fornication. Everybody say fornication. That's hard for you to say, isn't it? You know, fornication. It's actually hard for our society to say as well. It's hard for people to talk about it so hard that they actually change the word to lessen its impact. Because fornication just sounds so dirty. Sounds so gross. You fornicator. Oh, Okay, that just doesn't sound right. And so we, we change the word. We like, to, we like to call it premarital sex. Okay? But if we actually take it back, the real word, fornication. Okay? But we try to ease the sound of it and ease the impact in a premarital sex. Or, or yeah, me and, my, me and my boyfriend, we're just fooling around. We're sleeping together. Doesn't that just sound so much more palatable than fornication? You know? But here's the reality is we can change it, we can label it, we can put a different name on it, but the reality is it has the same impact, the same consequence, and God doesn't look at it any different because you changed the name of it. Are you with me? It's still the same thing. We can change the word all we want, but ladies and gentlemen, it's still the same thing. Let me, let me just give this to you this morning. Uh, some statistics, and, and I pulled these from uh, a Sharon uh, Jason USA Today article uh, off of, uh, USA Today Health, and there was a bunch of different uh, um, facts in there. And it says this, anywhere from 88 to 95% of people have had premarital sex, fornication. There was no difference. The scary part is this, is all the studies I came across, and I say 88 to 95% because some of the studies vary. The lowest one was 88%. The highest was 95%. The scary thing is, is that didn't really change when it came into the church. So when you think about it, there are 100 people sitting here today. That means 88 out of 100 of us had sex before marriage. That's what this is saying today. Okay. But the opposite side says this. Then I found these other studies that say this. They say that yet those that wait, okay, and this was a study done by, by Brigham Young uh, University uh, School of Family Life. And they did a study, and they found that those that waited, that 20% of them actually, uh, they increased in their enjoyment in the relationship. 15% said that the sexual intercourse was better. Look at this one. 12% said their communication was better if they waited. You know the reason behind that? It's because they were talking before they got married rather than having sex. Come on, somebody. Okay? They spent more time talking. Okay? See? If you're having sex before marriage, you're killing your communication. Okay? And so if we look at the study, sure, there's a lot of people doing it, but just because a lot of people are, are fornicating, just because a lot of people have premarital sex doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's right in God's eyes. Listen to me. God never intended for culture to set what was right and what was wrong. 
He meant for his word to tell us what was right and what was wrong. And the reality is, is if we live by his word, even according to this last study I mentioned, if we live by his word, you'll, you'll improve your satisfaction in almost every area of your marriage and of your sex life. If we do it God's way, okay? God does not like fornication. The word fornication, fornicator, mentioned over 40 times in the Bible, okay? And never once was it used in a good term or in a good way, okay? And those 40 times, it was never like, oh, I love you, little fornicator, okay? Does he love you? Yes, absolutely. Does he love what you're doing? No. And so every time in the Bible when someone did not had unrepentant fornication in their life, there was judgment pronounced on them, okay? What does that tell us? That tells us this, that God does not like fornication. Matter of fact, Revelations 21.8 declares that the unrepentant fornicator, that his, 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 his destiny that await, awaits him is eternal separation from God, okay? And so we're talking about this because this isn't just something that's plaguing the world. This is something that's plaguing the church. Are you with me, okay? Let me just give you a few definitions, and we'll get right back to 1 Corinthians 6. Some definitions. Dictionary.com says fornication is this, voluntary sexual intercourse outside of marriage. And we'll talk a, uh, about adultery in a couple weeks, but right now we're talking about fornication, okay? And it is sexual, uh, voluntary sexual intercourse outside of marriage. The word fornication actually comes from the, the original word fornus, okay? And I believe we have it on the screens. And it's, it's interesting when you study this out, that word fornus means brothel. Originally, it meant an ark, a vaulted chamber. And it was known that the, the Roman prostitutes would wait under the arches of certain buildings, wait for people that they could prostitute themselves to. And those arches were called fornices, okay? And now we have fornication going all the way back to this Roman custom of prostitution. Old Testament words that are used for fornication, there's two main Hebrew words. The first one is zana, and the next one is is Tazneth. Zana means to commit fornication, to be a harlot, to play a harlot, to be a harlot, to act as a harlot, to commit fornication, to be a cult prostitute, to be unfaithful. This is what the Bible says about fornication. This is the definition, okay? Tazneth, the other Hebrew word, it's fornication, harlotry. Now, there's some words used in the New Testament that have a little bit of a different meaning, but fornication in the New Testament, the Greek words are two main or por porn you and pornia. Porn you. Huh. Think about that for a minute. The word for fornication in the New Testament, porn you. Where do you think we get the word porn from? Are you with me? Okay. And then we could probably say this, that, and we're not going to get it today because we have someone coming to talk about pornography, but we could probably say this, that the purpose of pornography is for fornication. Right? And now I know what some people are going to argue, but what if, what if I'm looking at naked pictures of my wife? Then that's not pornography. It's your wife. It's a redeemed image. Okay? We'll talk about that later on. Someone's like, really? Now, if you look at a picture of my wife, I'll smack you. <laughs> yeah, there aren't. Bummer. No, I mean, wait. <laughs> porn you and pornia roughly mean the same. Porn you to prostitute one's body to the lust of another. To give oneself to unlawful sexual intercourse, to commit fornication. Uh, metaphorically, it's speaking to be given to idolatry, 
to worship idols, to permit oneself to be drawn away by another into idolatry. Hebrews 13.4 also uses other words like whoremonger. I know. I see something like, oh, the words you're using are so harsh. I'm just quoting the Bible. <laughs> Hebrews 13.4, whoremonger. This is what the Bible calls those that are in acts of premarital sex. Okay? This is what the Bible's saying. These are the terminologies. These are the words that the Bible is using to describe those that are doing something God doesn't want you to do. Okay? First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul begins to address this. Why is he addressing this issue? Because the city of Corinth, a port city, lots of people coming in and out, lots of import and export taking place. The city was a, a rather large city, a rather well-known city, but it, it became known not just for its import-export, it became known for sexual immorality. It became a place where they actually had uh, the, uh, an Aphrodite there, and she had a thousand, or this, this God had a thousand prostitutes there. And now Christians were actually coming, born-again believers, people that would be in church on Sunday, are now going to this temple to purchase prostitutes, okay? And so this is taking place. Other things that were happening in that city at the time, there was religious diversity, and there was a corruption taking place in almost every area of that city. And so now the church that Paul planted in Acts chapter 18, he now has to come, and he now has to deal with some stuff. And one of the things he highlights, one of the things he deals with is sexual immorality. He comes because the church is not rising up. The church is actually floundering. The church is dying off. People are leaving the church. And so Paul comes and he wants to see this for his own eyes. And he wants to look and see what's going on. And as he looks, he addresses the sexual immorality. He addresses the religious diversity. And he addresses the corruption that's happening. I believe with all my heart. Okay? That a church that does not address this issue will be a floundering church living in a society of religious diversity, sexual immorality, and corruption. I can even take it a step further. I believe with all my heart when we look at what's happening to our economic structure in, in, our, in, in our society and in our culture and in the U.S. today, it has little to do with investments and money and has everything to do with morality. And if we would begin to address the moral content of our nation, we begin to address the moral character of our nation, I believe that God will begin to pour out his blessings upon us once again. Listen, we can focus and we have focused. How many billions of dollars did the government throw back in? And they just want to keep it. Where's it all going? Okay. Maybe there's something deeper rooted that we need to address. Maybe Paul knew what he was doing and maybe the address doesn't need to go to the world. Maybe it needs to come to the church. So we address this today. The subject of sexual immorality, fornication, the same thing that Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in other portions of Scripture. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 8 talks about how 23,000 died previously because of sexual immorality. Wow. And so he talks about this and he addresses it and he tackles it head on and he begins to deal with some stuff. And so we want to deal with this subject of fornication today. Paul says, why would you tie yourself 
don't do that. There's a pleading with Paul saying, guys, don't do that. Do you not realize that when you walk into the temple and you purchase that prostitute that you are fornicating, you are having sexual intercourse before marriage. And what's happening? He begins to explain it. What's happening is, is you are literally tying yourself to that person. You are becoming one flesh. You are becoming one body. You are becoming one person. Now think about this for a moment. 95, 88 to 95 percent of people having premarital sex. And if you go on and you look at the studies, that's not one exclusive partner. That is multiple partners. And the studies show that the younger they start, the more partners they'll have before marriage. If we look at the Bible and we take it for what it is and we believe it today to be true, what the Bible is telling us is this is that as I come before marriage and I have sex with somebody, now picture if I had a rope in my hand. What's happening is, is that person is as close to me as possible, and I'm wrapping that rope around me, and we are tied together. We are inseparable, okay? And now let's just say I'm 15 years old, and I had my first, I had my, I, I fornicated for the first time. And now I'm 17, and I meet somebody else, and now that person's still there. They're tied to me. And now I have sex with that person. Now that person's tied to me. And then I have sex with somebody else. Now that person's, this is what the Bible's saying, ladies and gentlemen. You have become one, okay? Now think about when you are, on your wedding day, do you promise to give yourself exclusively to this person? Yes, me and the seven other people I'm tied to. Think about it. That's what the Bible's saying. And Paul is now pleading. Now listen to me, Paul is not the only writer of the, of the Bible that pleaded with, with people to, to abstain from this. You could go all the way back to the Old Testament. Solomon pleaded with people, don't wake in love before it's time. He was saying, hey, don't have sex before your marriage. Now, Solomon knew some stuff about women. First Kings tells us he has 700 wives. The dude was broke. I can barely afford one. 700. Dear Lord, how many jobs do you have to have? Okay. And he pleads, hey, don't do it. Don't do it. The Proverbs plea with us. Proverbs chapter 5 talks about, hey, don't just go having sex with anybody. Save it for the wife of your youth. It's throughout the whole entire, there is this plea. And so Paul now is pleading with the church at Corinth, there needs to be a change. We need to flee sexual immorality. This is the plea. Don't tie yourself. Don't cleave with somebody. Okay, and we're going to get there in just a minute and talk about it in its entire context. Why uh, to abstain from fornication? So many, so many reasons why sex outside of marriage is destructive, while sex in marriage can be creative and beautiful. Let me read this to you. There may be excitement and enjoyment in sexual experience outside of marriage. Let me just say this. There is excitement. I don't know if there's joy, but there is excitement in sexual experiences outside of marriage. If not, people wouldn't be doing it. Okay? But let me just read on. But there is not enrichment. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it is not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety and security, and he will collect dividends. Praise Jesus. Sex within marriage can build a relationship that brings joy in the future. But sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Okay. But pastor, we love each other. 
Find that in the Bible. If you love each other, go ahead and fornicate. You won't find it. There's nowhere in there. But I'm, st- I'm telling you, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I worked with young people. I worked with college people. And, but, but, Pastor, what's wrong? I mean, we love each other. I mean, we're, we're going to get married someday. Good, then get married now and stop fornicating. Okay? Nowhere in the Bible will you find that, that, that God lessens the stance on this subject because you love each other. Now, here's the thing, is that there are a lot of people, okay, in the world now, let's say. There are a lot of people in the world that they are not, listen to me, they're not whoremongers that the Bible's talking about, okay? That they literally have good intentions, They literally, you know, they really do love this person, and they're exclusive to this person, and that is their idea of being okay. They might not know the word. They might not know what the Bible says, and that's why we want to tell them what the Bible says. So no longer be ignorant, okay? And in their mind, I've talked to so many people, like, and I've even got emails, so why is it not okay? We love each other. We're planning on getting married. We're staying exclusive. It's not okay for for, for one reason, really, is because the Bible tells us it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay inside the church. It's not okay outside the church. There is one place that sex belongs, and that is in the context of marriage. Okay? Why is fornication a sin? Now, I'd love to just be able to get up here and say, well, because God said so. Okay? And I'll be honest with you. In, you know, I've been, I've been a pastor for close to 14 years now. I've grown up in church pretty much all my life. My dad was a pastor. And I have yet, in, in, you know, and I'm now 37, so let's just say I started remembering things when I was five. Okay? 32 years, okay? Uh, to my knowledge, I have not been in a church that has taken time to talk about these subjects in, 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 in the extent that we're going to, okay? In youth ministry, I never sat in, in you know, a, a youth ministry that talked. Yeah, they talk about like, hey, stay pure. Knock it off. That didn't help me. Just going to be honest, you know? I mean, and here's the thing is that message doesn't work for a lot of young people. How does someone stay pure when they're not pure already? But the message is stay pure. Get pure. Okay, give me the soap, you know. What do I do? It just kind of freaks you out, you know. You don't know. Okay. So I'd love just to stand here and say, well, it's a sin because God said so. Let's all close our eyes. Bow our heads, let's pray. Okay. But if you're like me, I'm the kind of guy, I'm like, I'm like my six-year-old daughter. Why? Daddy, why is the sky blue? Because God created it that way. Why? Because he didn't like red. Why? Because he's mad at you. No, I'm just kidding. I, you know, I, at some point you have to stop the question why, right? There has to be, you know. Why is it raining? Because God's crying. Why is God crying? Because of something bad you did. I made my daughter cry. That didn't work too well. But it was fun. I'll be honest, it was fun. Why? We have to look at the reasons of why God created sex and what sex was intended for and understand why. Because here's the thing. Holiness is anything that's consistent with the nature of God. That's holiness. Whatever is consistent with the nature of God. If it's inconsistent with the nature of God, it's not holy. Therefore, it's sin. Okay? Murder is wrong. Why? Because God's not a murderer. It's consistent with his nature. Okay? So why is, it, why is sex before marriage wrong? Let's look at it because God had some things to say about it, and if we're not consistent with the way God wanted it to be, then it becomes sin. First th- thing is this. God intended sex to be pleasurable intimacy between a man and a woman who were married. Okay? So how do we know that? Okay? Well, 
We know it because of everything he says about sex before marriage. He doesn't like it. So if he doesn't like sex before marriage, he created sex. Sex must be good inside of marriage. Okay? And so it's meant for pleasurable intimacy inside of marriage. Is it pleasurable? Yes. Okay? How do you know? Because I've been married for 14 years. Okay? So it's meant to be in the context of marriage. When, when the Bible says, you know, when, when Adam and Eve first came together, and it says, and Adam knew Eve, and then they bore a son. It's, it's, it's this deep knowing. Here's the thing. People try to lessen the sexual intercourse outside of marriage. There's actually people that go around, and they're just, just, just seeing who they can get with that weekend or that night. Okay? Just because they're trying to lessen their viewpoint on it doesn't lessen what it actually does. When there is sexual intercourse taking place, there is a deep knowledge and a deep knowing. It is your whole entire being. It is your intellect. It is your emotions. Everything's flowing towards one point, and you're binding yourself with that, with that person. Proverbs 5, how do we know that God intended it for a marriage? Proverbs 5 talks about it. I mentioned earlier that, that you should save it for the wife of your youth. Don't just go, it talks about, don't just go dispersing your springs everywhere. Hebrews 11 would say you're a whoremonger. Okay? Don't go. Dispersing your springs everywhere, okay? Save it for the wife of your youth. God intended it for a pleasurable intimacy between a man and a woman who were married. This is clear. That's why the plea, don't do it. Don't do it. Run from sexual immorality. Don't find yourself involved in that. There's a whole book, Song of Solomon, dedicated to it. Pretty awesome book. You haven't read it lately? Talk about put on some romantic music, light a candle. Get your wife over there. Come on, somebody. It's a great night right there. I heard an amen. You better be married if you said amen. Oh, okay. <laughs> God intended it for that. God also intended it for procreation, for reproduction. Okay? That's what God intended it for. Genesis 1. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the whole earth. Yes, it's great, pleasurable intimacy between a, a married man and woman. Awesome. That's where it belongs. But it's also meant for, for procreation, to recreate, to populate. Come on, somebody. We're going to build this church one way or the other. We're going to get people married, and we're going we're to have babies. Come on, somebody. Might take us 15 years, but we'll be there. Okay? This is, this is what God intended. He intended for, for you to reproduce, to have children, to, 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 to fill the whole earth. I, I know that some of you in here still think they came from a stork, but they don't. Okay? You know? No, it comes. Okay? When you, when your wife or you and your husband. Okay? So we see those, but here's what I want to highlight as we conclude today. God intended sex to consummate a marriage. He intended for sex to consummate a marriage. Now, let me give you the definition of consummate. Because somebody's like, constipate? What? What's he talking about? Consummate. It means to complete a marriage with the first acts of sexual intercourse. That's, that's what this is saying. That's what the definition is. To complete a marriage with the first acts of sexual intercourse. Wow. Think about that. So the wedding. You know, how many guys out there are married? Or were married? How many guys are on your second marriage? Third marriage. Your fourth? May the fourth be with you. I'm just kidding. 
You, you, maybe you've been to a wedding, okay? Maybe you're married today. All of the stuff that happens, man, it's beautiful. Man, you come forward and you're in front of the witnesses and they witness this marriage taking place and then, and then you take a vow with one another and the, the pastor has you repeat things and man, it's so beautiful and then you spend thousands of dollars for all your friends to eat that you don't even care about. Save the money, buy a home. <laughs> okay? And so you do all of this, and that's awesome, and, and it's all a part of it. We're going to see here, it's all a part of the covenant of marriage. But there is one thing, listen to me, the vows didn't bind you together. The pastor praying over didn't bind you together. Your friends eating up all your money did not bind you together. What bounds you together is when you go away that night and you go to that room and you love with one another and you have sexual intercourse. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what consummates the marriage. God intended it for for it to be inside of that context because of what it is and because of what it does. It ties you. It's very clear from the scripture we read today and other scriptures that it binds you together as one flesh. Now, here's what you need to understand. Marriage is a covenant. It is not a contract. It is a covenant. It is not something where you are sitting there. How many of you ever leased a car before? Some people treat their marriage like leasing a car. Let's get the prenup going. In case you decide to stop loving me or I get this, this, that, you know. It is not a lease. You are not buying something, okay? It is a covenantal agreement between two people. And in a covenant, there are three essential parts of a covenant, and we see them in marriage. You have the words. What's that? Well, that's where, that's where, that's where you can exchange your vows with one another. Wow, it's powerful, baby. I love you. I'll always love you. I'll never do anything dumb. Yes, you will, but I'll never do anything dumb. Okay. The other part of a covenant is, is the blood of the covenant. And if you study this back, you would, you, would, you would actually go all the way back to what was called a betrothal. Okay? And the word was betrothed to each other. Okay? And what was seen is that it, it back, way back when, okay, before 95% of the people were having sex before marriage, you would know that you married a virgin and that she was faithful to you because of the blood that would come from the first act of sexual intercourse. And it was often noted what would happen is, is the man would actually come to the window. And he would actually show a bloody rag to the rest of the people to say she was faithful. The covenant is sealed. Think about that. So even in marriage, God intended for the covenant to be in process. And there was blood involved in the covenant. We see in in scriptures such as with Abraham, when God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the animals and I want you to cut them in half. I know. Gory. Weird. You're like, that's talks about that in the Bible? Yeah, it does. And he would cut the animals in half, and the, the Bible actually told him, Genesis chapter 15, I, I want you to place an animal here, and I want you to place an animal here, and I want you to walk between the animals making a covenant with me, okay? And in that covenant, what the statement you were making was this, is if I break this agreement with you, let me become as the animals, separated, divided, okay? So when it comes to marriage, the two become one flesh. They're bound together, okay? And divorce now is a ripping apart. Divorce, before, before the, we, we hear the word divorce in marriage, we actually, the, the, the terminology actually goes back to covenant. And if they broke a covenant, they actually divorced, and they separated, and they were torn apart. 
When Abram would walk between those animals, he was saying, let me become like that if I break this covenant with God. Okay? Divorce, then, is now a separation. What ties you together, ladies and gentlemen? It is that first act of sexual intercourse. It is a part of it. Then you have the seal or the signet, the ring. Okay? But it's that first act that binds you together in covenantal agreement. No longer fornication. It's sex. Pure, holy, awesome, undefiled, amazing sex. That's the way God intended it to be. He intended it to be in the context of marriage. Do not be joined to just anyone. Do not cleave to just anyone. Do not become a part of just anyone. This is saved in the context of marriage. I've helped build a few houses, mostly my brothers. I usually purchase them finished. And I helped build a few houses, and the house has different elements. You have the foundation. Obviously, I'll simplify it this morning. You have the foundation, and on the foundation, you know, the concrete, and then from that, then you begin to build up the framing of the house. And you have the framing of the house, and, and that has its purpose, and then, and then you have the, the siding of the house, the insulation. You have this stuff called sheetrock on the inside. Now, pretty much, unless it's a log cabin, every house I've been to has some sort of sheetrock in it. I live in a condo in downtown, and although the, the studs are metal, the sheetrock is still sheetrock. Okay. And in other, my other house in Vegas, although the studs are, are wood, it's still got the sheetrock on it. And, you know, I, I've looked at that sheetrock, and sheetrock, when it is nailed on that framework, it serves a great purpose. I mean, you can wallpaper it, you can paint it, you can stucco it, you can, pretty, you can do a lot of things to it, okay? And once it's there, man, it has a purpose. But if you have that sheetrock and it's not put on those studs, it's actually kind of brittle. You, you nick it on something and it breaks. You get it wet and it starts to deteriorate. I mean, I can think to myself, man, I got a great use for sheetrock. Let's go make some surfboards. It's cheap. We can make a ton of them. We'll sell them. They'll never know until they get in the water. But if I take that sheetrock now and I begin to use it for its unintended purpose, it doesn't work. It's brittle. It breaks. It doesn't serve its intended purpose. That sheetrock was meant to be on the inside of my house for me to slap some paint on and make my house look beautiful. Okay. Sex is kind of like that. Sex outside of the, of the, of the, of the framework of marriage, oh, you, you, you can do it, but it's brittle. It's weak. It gets destroyed easy. But when you bring that sex and you put it on the framework of marriage and you place it there, it begins to bind things together. It begins to pull everything. Man, you can do something beautiful. You can work with that. But minute you take it outside, it begins to get brittle, broken, and deteriorate. God intended for it to be on the framework of marriage. That's where he wants it. And that's where all we should stay. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word is speaking even now. And God, I believe that your word will speak long after as we leave. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as many leave today, God, that they would wrestle with your word today. God, many of those that are here this morning not married, but yet having sex. God, many of those that are here today, maybe, maybe they're not having sex, but there's some pain from their past. They still feel bound. 
Praise be to Jesus. For his grace is sufficient. And it's able to come. And it's able to forgive and cleanse and make it just as if you'd never sinned. Hallelujah. 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 With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, listen to me. I'm, I'm taking this series very seriously. I just want you to listen to me. I'm taking it very seriously. I know the failures of my past and the pain it's caused me and the pain it's caused my future. I don't just know from reading. I, I also know some of these issues we're talking about from experience. Now listen to me. The reason God is having us do this campaign is because first he was working in me and he's been working in me for the last 14 years. God began to impress on my heart and say, Ben, I've worked it in you now. I want you to bring it. Listen to me over the next six weeks now. I don't want you to miss. I want you to come and I want you to hear what the Bible says. But, but, but we're going beyond that. Today in the back, there's a table. And we'll have counselors there. And if you are here today and you need hope and you need help, I believe in the power of prayer to set somebody free. But I also believe there is a time and a season where you need to get some coaching and you need to get some instruction and you need to get some wisdom and you need to get some things broken off in your past. Sometimes it happens at an altar in prayer. Other times it happens as you begin to talk with somebody. Someone begins to help you through that. If you're here today and you have been hurt or affected by some sort of sexual issue and you've been dealing with it and dealing with it and dealing with it, it's time you seek out some help. You need to get that help today. We will pray with you today and we will believe in the power of God and then you need to head back to that table and you need to talk with some people that will give you some wisdom, give you some instruction, give you some more information to take the next step. If you're here today and, you, and, you, and you've, if you've gone through an abortion, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, you've been a part of that and the pain of it is still there. We have a community group that deals with that, but you also need to go talk to those counselors and begin to seek the right connection for the right help. There's some of you here today in your marriage is on the rocks. Ah, Holy Spirit just spoke this to me. Yeah. There's some of you here today, you don't even know your marriage is on the rocks. One of you knows, but the other one has no clue. You're clueless. You think everything's fantastic. And don't let this moment pass you by. Go get help. Get help, get help. Get prayer and get some hope and some counseling. Yeah. There's some of you here today that you need to break this cycle of fornication. Listen to me. God is good. His grace is sufficient. His love covers a multitude of sins. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Hebrews says that actually if we, we come to Him and, and we lay down that sin and He forgives us, but then we go back into it, we're literally trampling the blood of Jesus under our feet. For some of you have been in a repetitive cycle, a habitual cycle of fornication, and you love God. I know I'm not questioning your love for God. I know it's hard to break. I know it's hard to stop once you've started, but listen to me. Greater is He that is in you. You need to get prayer today. You need to get prayer today. You need to have... That cycle broken in your life. Listen to me. Prayer won't break it unless you repent. 
The only thing that will break it is true repentance before God. And true repentance is not, God, will you forgive me for what I did? True repentance is a turning from what you did and walking the other direction. It's time to repent.